Hello and welcome to She Said, She Said. I'm your host, Laura Cox Kaplan. We have a great show for you today. I'm joined by my good friend, Mary Beth Albright. Mary Beth is an accomplished food lawyer and food expert, and we'll talk about what that means in just a minute. She's also the food anchor at the Washington Post. She actually developed this very innovative platform that includes not only food hacks, but also food diaries of renowned chefs and other, other food experts. Her accomplished career and her expertise spans a number of different areas, including writing for the National Geographic's The Plate, the Office of the U.S. Surgeon General, the Food Network, and much, much more. I am beyond thrilled to welcome my friend Mary Beth. Hello! I'm beyond thrilled to be with you, Laura. You're amazing. I mean, I wish that I could read off your bio. It's like, <laughs> it would be five times longer. That would be boring. That would be boring. <laughs> we have so much to discuss, but before we get started, I want to thank you for hosting us here at the Washington Post today. Um, suffice it to say, things have changed quite a bit at the Post. It's a really, it, it, people are calling it the golden age of the Washington Post, and that's saying something because we're here in the Watergate conference room. That's where we're speaking from. And so there have been many golden ages of the Washington Post. This is really an extraordinary time to be here. I, And what's great about it is that there are many resources here, but the best are my colleagues. The people here are the best thing about this place. I mean, even with all of the like great technology we have and the coders and everything like that, the people are the best. That's that's amazing. I mean, the culture really is what's so important at an organization. So it has changed a lot. I've just, like a lot of folks listening, I've just seen the post. It, this doesn't look anything like it does in the movie. <laughs> so it's been quite an evolution. Yeah, we moved into this new building a few years ago, and it is really beautiful. I mean, you know, class. And the, the great thing about it, we should take a picture of this later so you can post it on the website. Um, the, the glass offices have all the different headlines from, you know, Stalin dead from stroke to first test tube baby born, you know, local headlines, national headlines, international, and it really gives you a sense of what this place is. And it also has quotes from past publishers and editors, and one of my favorite is Don Graham saying, uh, and I'm going to get this at least partially right, but I'm going to get the gist of it right, is that journalism is the first rough draft of history which I love, Fantastic. right? Because you get the idea that every morning when you walk out to your driveway in, you know, in your in your robe and you get your newspaper, there's this little miracle in your hands, right? Of just <laughs> like I can't believe that every day I'm in the place where this is produced and you get the first rough draft of history. And years from now you're going to get a book, you know, that says what happened, but today you get this paper and it's just I, I get goosebumps every day. That in and of itself is amazing, but so is the fact that you are part of this team that is evolving what it means to be a media publication, right? I'm not even sure if publication's really the right word. So, so let's get into that. Mm -hmm. Your bio describes you as the quote unquote food anchor. What the heck is a food anchor? What do you do? What does that mean? Well, our, our publisher, Fred Ryan, describes us as a 140 year old startup. And I think that's exactly <laughs> right because we have that scrappy mentality at the Washington Post. There's always innovation, there's always speed. And so one of the things that, um, that the Washington Post is really invested in is being a multi-platform company and not just being on the Washington Post platform, being everywhere. So um, 
video is a big part of how we see things today, right? I mean, not just on your phone, but like everywhere. Um, and it's a way, a, lot, a way that a lot of people learn. And I'm not just talking about, you know, in a nefarious way, right? Like, oh my gosh, people are only learning from their phones. It's actually like a, a very legitimate way to learn things. I mean, when you get the State of the Union or when you get, um, you know, what's happening on Capitol Hill in a three minute video and you can really understand that, um, that's a service to people and people become better citizens by understanding that. And so what I try to do um, is uh, with food and try to really demystify this thing that people have to do at least three times a day. I do it probably seven or eight, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but uh, people have to eat several times a day and people have to feed themselves. But people are so afraid of cooking. People are so interested in food and they're so afraid of cooking. And we have this like modern fire circle of food television that people gather around now to look at and um, but they don't cook. Right. Like it's the modern version of the fire circle, but they don't actually go the extra mile and learn and cook. And that's what I'm trying to do is bring it down to like three minute videos. So so let's be clear. You don't just like food. Right. I mm -hmm. like food. Janine right. likes food. Like we all like food. Like you are a food expert. You're a food lawyer by training and education. And you have, you know, vast experience in this area. So so talk to us about how you're combining the more intellectual pursuit of food expertise with this new digital platform? So I, um, my interest in food started from my interest in public health. I worked for C. Everett Koop, who used to be Surgeon General um, in the 1980s, and he's probably the most famous Surgeon General we ever had. And uh, I really became interested in food through that and through my work with him. Um, and he's really my mentor um, and gave me away at my wedding, actually. Fun really? fact. Really? Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was very close with him and his family. Um, and still am, even after his death. Uh, with his family. And so um, that's how my interest started in, in, in food. And so I started food writing from there. And, and this uh, was before law school. This was before law school, yeah. So while I was in law school, I was working full time at the Surgeon General's office and going to law school full time. And that was um, a bear. But it, when you really want to do something and when you really love something, you just make it happen, I think. Um, and I think particularly. I think everybody does that, but I think women do it in a particular way. Um, so I turned that into, um, you know, and, and an interest in performing, right? An interest in teaching people into what you see now. And it was a circuitous route. There's nothing, when people say to me like, oh, you've, you've had such an interesting trajectory. It's like, it's not a trajectory. It is, it is a squiggle. And there's no, you know, when people say to me like, oh, how do I, how do I, you know, do food video? It's like, okay, first go to law school. You know, it's, there's, there's no, there's no straight line. As you think about the impact that you want to have with this digital platform and sort of looking at this particular moment in time, mm -hmm. what does that look like for you as it relates to your expertise in food? Well, it's interesting because our um, editor, Marty Barron, uh, who is, you know, a legend in and of himself, always says uh, we want to go from um, adoption to addiction to affection. And that's what we're trying to do here at The Post. And so um, what I try to do with my videos are something that people aren't seeing because the food space is such a crowded space. And so um, what, uh, what I'm trying to do is create a world in which there is no perfection because food is a world in which 
it, it, perfection ruins everything, right? It's the same thing with parenthood. Perfection and the expectation of perfection ruins everything. And so um, I create that space. Uh, that's what I do in my food hacks videos or three-minute videos in which you can just, like, make something, you know, very quickly and cook along with it. You don't have to watch a half-hour show. You don't have to commit to it. It's just very, something very quick. And then in the other things that I do, which are more food interviews with people, so I've worked with um, – uh, Starbucks chairman Howard Schultz. Um, I just did an inter interview with Brene Brown, which was a fascinating interview because she talks a lot about women and perfection, fear of perfection, and how that relates to food and food consumption, which is fantastic and really interesting. Um, you know, try to try to look into and delve into how food relates to our everyday lives instead of this thing that we put up on a pedestal and we think needs to be like tweezer perfect and. Um, you know, something that we watch on TV, but we don't try at home. You know, mm -hmm. there's there's no don't try this at home with food at the Washington Post. Perfection's such a challenge for I think women in particular. It is something that can can tend to uh, prevent us from taking necessary risks, whether it's career or raising your hand to volunteer for something, wh whatever it happens to be. Do you struggle with perfection? I struggle with. The idea that if I show myself to be who I really am, people will not like it. And it won't be good enough. And I don't have any advice on how to get over that other than just go out and do whatever your thing is. That's all you can do. And a lot of my life has just been forcing my way through it. There was no food lawyer turned video person. Um, the night before I went for my interview at the Washington Post, I was like, what am I doing? I'm never going to get this job. You know, this is this is such an amazing opportunity for somebody. I, I can't imagine that it, I would be the one who would be fortunate enough, fortunate enough to work there. And um, I think uh, I think you just got to push through it. I mean, I, I, I could I could have a, a great um, line here about believe in yourself and stuff like that. I think a lot of life is just pushing through it. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it is, um, for those of us who know you well and know how incredibly talented you are, it's strange to hear you say that, quite frankly, because, you know, we're sitting here and we see all this amazing talent and you've clearly packaged those talents in a way that had great appeal to the post and now you're doing it, um, which is pretty incredible. Um, but I think the you're fact telling that me. you're <laughs> no, I, I, you're 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 being very honest and really authentic in your response about this, and I do think it's something that a lot of people struggle with. But you you said it best: putting one foot in front of the other and just keep going, even though you're scared, even though it may be uncomfortable. Continuing to push through is really a big piece of the puzzle. Well, and also sort of like, what is there in life to do except be authentic and honest, right? I mean, what am I gonna do? Sit here and tell you somebody else's answer? I'm not gonna tell you somebody else's answer because it would be exhausting. I mean, life is exhausting enough. I'm raising a nine-year-old child, you know, I'm working full-time, I um, have amazing friends, but friendships require tending. Um, I have an, a wonderful community around me, but that community requires giving as well as th the great things that I get from it. But, I mean, my gosh, can you imagine if I were trying to be somebody else too? That would be, um, and I always tell my nine-year-old to like, um, you know, you, I say some version of this that you know you, you have to be Truman Albright because if you if you're not Truman Albright then the world doesn't get a Truman Albright, 
and you're really robbing the world of that. And so everything I say to him, I try to like put back onto myself because um, I don't listen to it very often. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this, and it comes through in your video work as oh, well. Oh, good. Thank you for saying oh, that. Oh, it My absolutely does. You. It absolutely does. For, for those who haven't had an opportunity to, to, to check out Mary Beth's work, do so. I mean, it really is very real and very authentic, um, and she's very genuine, um, and it's great to have this conversation. So to talk a little bit more about what's happening here at The Post and kind of the, the future evolution, right? It's not just around food. What you're doing is amazing, but it is a sort of a snapshot oh, yeah. to illustrate all of this interesting innovation and really what is the future of media. I mean, you guys are on the cutting edge of this. So can you talk about the vision for the future? I would love to because it's really exciting. So the team that I am on is called the Creative Video Team. And the Washington Post went up hiring um, five hosts for five different uh, subjects one and what's great about it is and this was not a plan all five of us are women um, fantastic it, it just it just happened that way in the same way that sometimes you hire for positions and all five of them are men or whatever you know but um, so so the five women one of them is politics and accountability one of them is inspired living one of them is pop culture there's me the food host and then the science host and all five of us are women, and all five of us are so different, but so enormously talented. I work with women who, like the science host, her name is Anna Rothschild, and she is not only brilliant in science, but she's also, she can animate her own stuff. You know, um, the politics and accountability host uh, is Libby Casey, and she's doing a, a series called How to Be a Journalist, which includes um, a, a video about how to FOIA anything, Freedom of Information Act, so how to gather information. Any person in the country can do that. And so, and, and it's with journalists here at the Washington Post, or how to get a source with um, some of the people who investigated the Roy Moore story. And so it's, it's just this great public service that we're putting out there. That's amazing, that's really amazing. Um, I saw one of the uh, one of the videos by one of your counterparts about um, basically explaining whether or not you could have survived on the Titanic as oh depicted gosh. in the movie, yes. which I know was one of yes. your favorites. Oh my god! All the journalism They're... stuff's interesting too, but this was really quite quite compelling. And that's what's so fun. And when they we did a reenactment, together. right? Yes, <laughs> Hannah and Anna, Hannah and Anna investigate. It's the pop culture host and the science host doing stuff together. That's what's so fun about it. Is it, and, and Anna and I, the science person and I, are going to do some food science stuff together. So law and food science about you know working for consumers too. So that's really exciting that's fantastic yeah it's really fantastic so thinking about um, technology and the impact that it has on our lives obviously it impacts food so what's the future of food from the standpoint of your your food expertise background where are we going with food and can I 3d print my grilled cheese sandwiches in you know a matter of just a few years oh good lord I hope not <laughs> now I mean you, you can do that now I guess but like I would like to get people to actually cook grilled cheese sandwiches in a pan before I worry about getting them to cook actually that I can do okay <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, but a lot of people can't, right? Or they feel like they can't cook a grilled cheese at home as well, as good as the one that they can buy in a restaurant. And that to me, it's like a heartbreaking, you know, because I mean, cooking a grilled cheese for somebody at home is like one of the most wonderful, loving, comforting, hospitable things you can do. And, and particularly here in Washington, D.C., I mean, I know you have listeners everywhere, but particularly here in Washington, D.C., that breakdown of just being able to feed someone in your home, I think is part of the breakdown in civility, right? Because just being able to gather with people and not be in a space of business. I mean, yesterday it was really funny. We did an ice cream tasting video. We had breaking ice cream news. <laughs> I, seriously, embargoed breaking ice cream news. This, this is my this is my business. It doesn't happen to everyone. I, it doesn't. I'm the I mean, luckiest I person could in the world. I only wish for, for <laughs> such just, a thing. You, you, and, and you can imagine that when I came home with the ice cream for my son, we had a little bit of extra ice cream. He, my, my nine-year-old thinks I have the best job in the world. He just thinks it's the best. Um, but we had breaking ice cream, ice cream news, and we had leftover ice cream. What and, was the breaking ice cream news? Oh, so, you... well, Ben and Jerry's, I can say it now, Ben and Jerry's came out with a new line of light ice cream. So oh. we did a taste test video. Be still yes. my heart. I know, I know. Well, stick with the regulars. <laughs> stick with the full fat ice. I mean, if you're going to eat ice cream, eat ice cream. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I called it the breakup pint. You know, when you want to eat the whole pint, just like out of the pint, when you have no control whatsoever, but you don't want to eat. 1200 calories or whatever it is eat the light ice cream that's a real public service uh, thank you so ben much and <laughs> I believe when you're binge eating yes. yes um but but we had in the in the kitchen i we had the leftover ice cream i put out a notice on you know one of our slack channels here in the washington post we had all these people come in at work and everybody brought a spoon and people were eating ice cream it was just like the most wonderful thing and i also brought out do you know carvel I'm doing a history in the soft serve. I'm doing a video on the history of soft serve ice cream, and Carvel originated soft serve ice cream. And so um, I had a cookie puss with me. You know the cake cookie puss. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I had a cookie puss too, and everyone like there was like the happiest riot in the newsroom when I brought out cookie puss. <laughs> I mean, it's just I feel like I bring joy. I I do. I I support. <laughs> the news of the Washington Post with like Cookie Puss and Ben and Jerry's. It sounds amazing. I don't know what they would do without you. Really, I don't. I mean, I am holding up journalism. I'm holding up democracy myself. So one of your other areas or part of your platform is Food Diaries, where Mm -hmm. you're interviewing renowned chefs and other food experts. And you had a very interesting experience somewhat recently with Patrick O'Connell. And for those who don't know who Patrick O'Connell is, tell us a little bit about him and about this particular experience where he allowed you access that I found sort of surprising. It was very surprising. So Patrick O'Connell, this is what, let me start with saying this. This is the kind of journalism that I came here to do. It's the kind of journalism that no one has done in the food world, period. Patrick O'Connell is a two-star Michelin chef who is celebrating his 40th anniversary of his restaurant that he built, like with his own two hands, and he built up a town around it called Washington, Virginia, that's right outside of of Washington, D.C. And um, he allowed us to come in and film live the call that he got from Michelin to see if he was getting three stars, which is Michelin's highest rating, and it's I mean, it's it's like the end all be all of the restaurant world, international restaurant world. And he allowed us to film that and to film what happened afterwards and to do an interview with him um, afterwards. And it is 
as I said, the kind of journalism I came here to do. And it's live. You're, it's all you're live. actually there live as we, he gets yep. this phone call. Yeah, I was there. I talked to him for about 25 minutes when Michelin was late with the phone call. Um, and the phone call came in. And what was really great about that, Laura, is that afterwards, Patrick O'Connell sent me a thank you note because I really wasn't sure how he was going to feel about the video. Um, and it appears that there might be now there might be I don't know if I can say this or not there there might be a series for him based on that video that we have done like wow. basically somebody saw this video and there there might be another there might be a television project that somebody might be doing on him based on this video and so I really didn't know how he would take it because it's such a heart-wrenching moment and it transcends food right because it's not about this is the thing that I, this is my philosophy about food food is never just about food ever and yes we're doing a food diaries with a chef but it's not about food it's about the human journey for excellence and what happens when you're at the top of your game but it just doesn't happen mm -hmm. and we've all been there mm -hmm. all of us and that's what I love about that video. It's, it is something that our listeners should check out. It is, it's a bit painful to watch, frankly. Were you surprised by his reaction at all? I was surprised by how well he was composed. I was surprised by how well he was composed. And that he that. didn't say, excuse me, Mary Beth, let me, I need to leave the room for a moment. He didn't do that. No, no. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's one of a kind. He really is. Patrick O'Connell is an amazing man. So he's a great example, and I know you're, you, you, are, you have and are talking to a number of incredible people. What have you learned from these conversations? Any takeaways that you can sort of draw a thread? What I've learned from the Food Diaries conversations is that food is even more all-consuming and universal than is obvious, right? We all know that it's something that connects everybody. It's something that we hear all the time. It's sort of like, a, it's almost like a cliche. It's a line like, oh, food brings us all together and that kind of thing. It is so primal and so biological and, and so integral to what so many people's stories, whether they are a quote unquote food person or not, um, it has convinced me that the food quote-unquote niche is not a niche at all it's just about finding the right wind to lift it up and it, that's what we're doing it's such an interesting concept because food obviously just to state the obvious it's a huge part of your life yeah. right you don't exist without it and yet it's something that you kind of take for granted so what you're doing really is quite amazing from that standpoint yeah Helping and us think about it differently. Thank you. I appreciate that. So if you were to Google Mary Beth Albright, oh, no. you would obviously find... <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you should. Um, all this wonderful stuff that she's doing at the Washington Post. But you would also find out, if you dug a little deeper and went a little further down into Google, that she was a finalist on the Food Network Competition Food Network Challenge. Mary Beth... 
Oh, I'm sorry. Food Network star. F- food Network star. Yes, Excuse yes. me. Food Network star, <laughs> which you are. <laughs> but I want you to tell us about that experience. Um, I've watched some of those videos. That sounds, seems like it would be amazing. I want to hear from you what that was like. So we don't have enough time <laughs> in this lifetime, not just today, but ever. There's not enough liquor in the world that you could feed me. Um, it was a really interesting experience. And what I will say is that I gained things from that experience that I never could have gained any, any, in any other way. So, for example, um, I was on stage doing something for the Washington Post a few weeks ago, and um, I realized in that moment, oh, my gosh, I could not have done this had it not been um, for some of those experiences that I had um, there. It, it's, it's intense. I mean, it was, it was two months of filming um, away from my family and, you know, with other people who I'd never met before um, who were all very different from myself, which is fine. I love people who are different from me, but um, for two months and living with them and being away from my family, that's very difficult. Um, and removed from my support system. And really the only thing that kept me going is that we were filming in Hollywood and we were half a mile away from my sister's house and I just knew that if things got really bad, I could just leave and walk to my sister's house. <laughs> like I knew the number to the gate and I could just like, you know, she lived like just down the hill in the Hollywood Hills. So I was like, I'm good, I'm good. Um, but it was really interesting. And I did Iron Chef when I was on that show. And so that was a really fun experience. And you know, here's the funny. I, I'm not going to get hoo-hoo on you. But I did, the right before, the day I left, a friend and I went out to lunch. And I said to him, you know what? The, I don't care about winning. I don't really, and I, I, this isn't just me being like, I don't care about winning. But I said to him, I don't really care about winning. I don't really even want to win. Um, the only thing I care about is getting to Iron Chef. And damn it. I got to Iron Chef, and that was the episode I got kicked off on. It was the second to last episode. So it's one of those things I was like, oh, is that like the power of positive thinking kind of thing? You know, like I went through the whole show. I got through the whole show to the second to last episode, and I got to exactly where I said I wanted to get to. So it's just interesting. Just a little thing that makes you go, hmm. So you talk about how grueling this is, oh, right? Gosh, this yeah. was incredibly grueling. Yeah. What did you learn about Mary Beth in the process? Oh, well, two things. First of all... Because I, Laura, you know this, I have a really enormous personality. And I don't say this in a, like, oh, I have so much personality. You know, like, growing up as a girl, where, where I grew up and in my circumstance, and everybody did the best they could. This is not me, like, being whiny about it. Everyone does the best they can. In the way that I grew up, having such a big personality was not ladylike, was not something that a girl should do. And so there's always been that sort of like, I'm, I'm too whatever, fill in the blank. You know, it's like a Mad Libs, just get, put in any adjective, I'm too whatever. And when I got there, the first episode, I was sort of like, you know, hanging back and they were like, who is this person? You know, like, why, why do we even care about who this person is? We don't know anything about her. And I was like, oh, I'm not too much. Like, they actually want this out of me. And so I think a lot of it is, um, a lot of what I learned is that thing about authenticity we were talking about. It's just like, just let your freak flag fly, you know? Like, Do you think that had an impact on how you presented yourself for this opportunity at The Post? Yes. 
Yes. At the Washington Post, I mean, the, the interview is a day-long interview. They, they are very careful about who they hire here, and it shows. I mean, the people are amazing here. And so um, I, uh, I was very much like, here's what I can do, and I do it really well, and here's what I can't do. And I need you to know that because if you expect me to come in and be able to do that at a high level, I can't. Like, I can learn, and I'm a really quick learner but I can't come in and do that at a high level. So I think that, I, I think that ability to just be like, here's who I am, mm-hmm. um, yeah, came from that. And, and really knowing your value, right? I mean, this, this can be a real, a, a real challenge for an awful lot of people, and I think women in particular, yeah. oftentimes have a difficult time figuring out how to tell their story. How do you take all this sort of composite of life, especially once you're a little further on in your career, and figure out how do you package this together so that it 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 illuminates people in terms of the value you can bring to an organization, the value that you are bringing to an organization, as the case may be, um, bringing it in interviews. That can be a difficult thing, it seems, for people to learn how to do. It takes a, a high level of self-awareness and authenticity, but how did you learn how to do that? I'm still learning how to do that, particularly with my resume, which looks to some people all over the map, right? Because you have a law degree, and you have work in the public health sector, and you have work in, um, you know, in food, and you have work in television and the media and stuff. It's, it, it, but it's not, you know. And and going in and convincing people, there is a storyline to this, and you might not be able to see it on paper. And that's okay. And what's interesting about it is I know this, that the reason that I was able to come in and have that opportunity to explain that was uh, Michelle Giacconi, who is my boss here. And she is the one who put my resume in front of the people and said, you need to talk to this woman. And I think women helping women is a really big deal and she knew my history and she knew me and she was just like you you know you need I understand you need to interview this woman and um that helped that network and that support system is huge yeah there's another topic though that you sort of alluded to that I think is important to, yeah. to spend just a minute on and that relates to career transitions and you took a break like not not a complete break but you you know you transitioned in order to spend more time at home to catch your breath to do things differently and you and I have both talked a lot about how difficult it can be to to, to do that, largely because of how other people will view it and describe it. And it's unfair, and it is the opposite of empowering, because you immediately take on a label that may be very different from what you're actually trying to accomplish. Um, but I think the fact that you were courageous enough to do that, to take that time, and you've still found a way to repackage it, right? And to jump back in, in a full-time gig, like that can be a really hard thing to do. So what advice, it's a long-winded way of sort of leading up to the question, but what advice do you have for other folks, particularly women who may be taking a break, transitioning to another career? How, what advice would you have for them? Well, I mean, look, first of all, as I said before, it's a squiggle. It's not a line. Like, just make sure to understand that because it, it, it is, I, I did take time to be more at home with my son. Um, I did freelance, but look, 
it's hard. It wasn't like, oh, I had tons of freelancing work. You know, it is hard. There's no question to try to stay in it when you're trying to do something else too. The best piece and maybe only piece of career advice I have is only work for a boss who is invested in letting you shine. Because if you work for somebody who is not invested in letting you shine, they will always be in competition with you. And I've only recently learned that. Because the jobs that I've had that I have not liked, that's, that's the link, is that I've worked for somebody who would not allow me to use all of my skills. That's tremendous advice. It's the only advice I will ever give it. Because, like, do stuff for the money. Don't do stuff for the money. Like, like the people you work with. Don't. Like, there's so many complicated things. The only piece of advice I can give you is work for someone who will let you shine. Who will always introduce you as, like, oh, this is the person who holds it all together. You know what I mean? Like, that's (laughs) what you need. It's terrific. Yeah. It's terrific. Okay. So, this is one of my favorite parts. Let's do it. And for you in particular. This is kind of like the lightning round of sorts. And because you are a food expert and I am decidedly not that, I'm hoping to get some free advice while I'm here and hopefully others will find this useful. Um, There's a big craze out there about the Instapot. Are we Instapot or not, Mary Beth? No. No? Really? Yes. Okay. I'll Do you want more than that or is this order. a lightning round? No, I want okay. a little more than that. Okay. No, that's fine. <laughs> I, I, I do not use any tool that could blow up in my face. Oh. Um, that <laughs> just generally, um, you know, that, that could, that could, that could create explosions that could, um, you know, cause splashes in other rooms that, you know, that are three rooms away. Um, you know, it just cooks spaghetti. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, just make a pot roast. Okay, it's you've, fun. you've convinced me. I'm well, cancel I mean, my I mean pe- order. Pe- people have been cooking for, for years and years and years, hundreds, thousands, th- hundreds of thousands of years without an Instapot. You're going to be fine without okay, it. Okay. All right. Fine. Okay. Your favorite food to eat or cook? I know I should have easy answers to this, but they're like, I love eating everything. That's the thing. Um, my favorite food to eat, you know, anything with my son. And um, my son really loves spaghetti. And I've got to say that I grew up um, and he eats it with sauce. I make a I make a sauce for him and I make meatballs. I make it a lot. It's a life hack. I mean, oh, it's it, a it's a it's a food hack, right? Doesn't your spaghetti sauce isn't it a food hack? Oh, it is. Hack? It is a food hack. Yeah. You're right. We have a video about it. Yeah. That's exactly right. Thanks for the plug. It's great. Um, but it's great because then I make I make um, you know a little sauce just with a little bit of pasta water and um, some grated Parmesan cheese, uh, salt and pepper, garlic. Um, maybe I'll chop up an anchovy and put that in. And so he can have what he wants, which is like a very basic tomato sauce and meatballs. And I have a meatball food hack too, actually. And then um, I can do my own. And, you know, it's like we're having the same meal, but different things. And I'm Italian. I'm Albright. I'm a wasp by marriage. I'm Zuppa by birth. So, yeah. So food is just, it's just there. I know. Well, it's so funny. Culturally, because, it's well, a Well, people are always like, I can't believe you changed your last name from Zuppa. I mean, a food person named Zuppa. It's like, but it's true. It's my last name is Soup in Italian. It's crazy. One of the reasons why we started She Said, She Said was to showcase 
unique voices of women who are having an impact and who are using their own voice and their own perspective and experience in really unique and interesting ways. And I think you'll have to agree, our friend Mary Beth is a perfect example and it's clear why we would wanna showcase her on She Said, She Said. So thank you so much for being with us today. I think you showcase it every single time you do one of these because you are my spirit animal, Laura Cox Kaplan. You, you are, are amazing. Sweet. No, it's true. <laughs> I, I do whatever you tell me to do. So. You are very sweet. Yes. You're very sweet. So to learn a bit more about Mary Beth, please visit the show notes uh, on our website at www.shesaidshesaidpodcast.com. You'll find some photos from our visit today to the Washington Post, links to the Post, links to Mary Beth's food hacks, as well as links to her blog. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.